back everyone to Marketing Meets Web3. This is the fourth conversation in a four-part series about Web3 and loyalty marketing. In the first conversation, we introduced the series by covering some foundational Web3 concepts and discussed opportunities for Web3 to enhance loyalty marketing. In the second conversation, we spoke with Drew Beachler from Holder, a Web3 CRM. And during that conversation, we covered how Web3 creates new paths to customer data insights. In the third conversation, we spoke with Toby Rush from Redeem, a Web3 onboarding toolkit, about how seamless onboarding experiences can empower customers to take control of their digital assets. Alberto, tell us what to expect from this talk. Hello, Nick. Yes, the series closes with a bang. In this final episode, we chat with uh, Thomas Pan, a prolific, very prolific, Web3 thought leader. In this conversation, Thomas shares ideas about how Web3 impacts marketing and partnerships. We delve into the potential for streamlined collaboration across brands and look at how Web3 communities are redefining brand co-creation. Let's get on it, shall we? Nick Casares, Thomas, welcome to Marketing Meets Web3. Glad to be here. Likewise, thank you guys for having me. Excited to share some thoughts, insights, and uh, what's going on in my world. So we have Thomas here as a guest for this conversation. Thomas is known as Tipan online. So if um, you want to follow him and find him, he's uh, known by by this name. He's gonna now describe a bit of his work and his um, and his uh, profile so that uh, we can set the concept, set uh, set up the conversation. So Thomas, all yours. Yeah, thanks, Alberto. So uh, my background has been in growth and marketing. I'm based in the Bay Area in California. And I've been working at small startups, big startups across a variety of industries in growth and marketing roles for about a decade. And when uh, during COVID, early 2021 came around, uh, I got sucked into and introduced to the world of MBA Topshop by Dapper Labs. Um, and as a growth guy, when I saw number go up and not even just go up, but go exponentially up. I, it was just fascinating to me. And I got hooked into that space ever since, um, and this space more specifically. But what happened was I started from something like Dapper Labs, NBA Top Shot. Let's just say I overinvested way too much, but really understood, I think, some of the community and cultural aspects and just even some of the simpler applications and use cases from a consumer point of view of what could happen. And just quick, funny anecdote. I thought that in months, in a matter of months, NBA Top Shot would be in every single NBA game. Like you could literally li live mint a moment or something like that. I, I think probably that's still in the books and the plan, but definitely taking a lot longer uh, just because of natural sort of legal IP licensing reasons and just the realistic difficulty of it. But that really sucked me in and took me into more Web3 native communities. Um, so if you find me online, my profile picture, my little mascot is still a cool cats today. Um, and really appreciating what I mentioned in regards to community culture uh, and sort of the creator aspect of this ecosystem in a slightly, uh, in a much deeper way. And that continued to encourage me to dig deeper into the broader ecosystem, primarily focused on Ethereum, but across other chains and, and areas as well. So um, started a Substack or a blog um, called Web3 with TPAN, 
Um, and I wrote a lot. Um, I think I'm on number 221. I forget now. Um, so, you know, have shared a lot of thoughts. And from a work standpoint, I'm currently the growth lead at Pollen Labs, which is a product uh, studio under the Ethereum Foundation organization, um, also consulting and advising with various Web3 companies and related organizations within the ecosystem. And of course, writing and sharing my content, thoughts, opinions, sometimes interesting, sometimes just, you know, sort of fun and also like to incorporate a lot of memes again for the culture. But uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. It's probably for an entirely different conversation, but I would love to know more about your creative output <laughs> and how you how you stay so prolific with your, your writing and your thought leadership, uh, but really excited for this conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's uh I, I always joke, and it's, it's true to to a large degree, but I call it a happy accident. Um, never really have been. I'm not a trained writer, not a journalist. I've only done personal journey, journaling, like dear diary stuff, since I was like six, seven years old consistently. So I think that definitely was a foundation in it. Um, but yeah, conversation maybe more deeply for another time. Uh, well, as uh, always throughout this uh, series, uh, Nick goes without an introduction. And um, yes, we are now at uh, the fourth episode and last in this series where, it's, where we have been exploring how loyalty may be improved by Web3. We've talked about the company angle. We've talked about the user angle. And uh, today with, uh, with Tipan, we're going to be talking about how, the, how companies could interact using Web3 and specifically how they could go about uh, this concept of co-marketing for their businesses. So uh, to introduce the conversation, maybe Thomas, could you uh, explain your definition for what co-marketing is? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of ways to define it. There's a lot of terms that could be used, but in short, uh, for me, co-marketing is a form of partnerships, a form of sort of expanding the tool set of distribution for whatever the message, whatever the product, um, whatever the initiative might be. And I think traditionally, um, let's just say like a couple decades ago, um, even before larger social media platforms came about, you know, that typically was between companies, right? You know, I, I'm naming names. These are all hypotheticals, but let's say Salesforce partners with Shopify, right? And that versions of that happen all the time still today and are very important just because of the ecosystems and the network effects. But like, it was more like that, right? Larger partnerships, large behemoth companies doing that. And I think as social media started to really allow for more democratization of voice, content, attention, and also the tools to create and, and have that proliferate, you know, co-marketing started to evolve um, to you know, relatively smaller creators. And um, I like to say I'm like a retired sneakerhead, but still like to follow what some of the latest and greatest is. But I think retail fashion is actually, wh whether it's luxury, whether it's a little bit more large scale, is such a great example of seeing what co-marketing or, you know, in that world, more typically termed as collapse looks like, right? So um, simple example I'm a fan of Nike um, and many other sneaker brands as well, for if anyone from those companies are listening by chance. Um, but, you know, Nike has really done a lot of their sort of output from release, a release standpoint is collaborations. Very simple example, Travis Scott, very popular rapper, 
large, large, large fan base, um, you know, literally happening now. And over the past several days, he's been releasing his utopia line of Nike Air Force One. So clearly, I still follow the the sneaker news um, and some of that culture, um, you know, whether it's artists, music artists, um, you know, other builders and creators in the space to like actual brands, Louis Vuitton has done collabs, Tiffany collabs, you know, Dior, etc, on the high end side. So, um, you know, that's what's looked like, what it has looked like to you know, other things that are a little bit more in the spur of the moment from a co-marketing standpoint. For anyone, uh, if you know, you know, I won't go down this rabbit hole, but uh, there has been more of this NPC influencer TikTok trend recently. Um, the creator, I think, oh, I forgot her name, so I don't want to misspeak, but basically one of the large... Pinky Doll. Yes, thank Pinky you. Doll. I, I think it, I was like, <laughs> there's pink, there's sugar, maybe. It's Pinky Doll. Yeah, yeah Pinky Doll. But, you know, gang, gang, ice cream so good. Gang, gang, ice cream so good. Blah, blah, blah. Again, if you don't get it, look it up. This is huge. Um, she actually signed a music partnership and is releasing a single with Fashion Nova. So, you know, that's co-marketing, right? But now when we talk about it in a Web3 standpoint, we actually go deeper and we go broader. And what does that mean? Well, this can happen in a much more interesting way at scale with an audience, with a community, with sort of a partnership mentality, but with someone like myself, someone like that's a super fan of whatever your product brand, or even if you're B2B, there's actually some very interesting things that you could do to apply those same frameworks as well. So I think Web3 is enabling that. Web3 is going to empower that to happen more effectively and is actually going to be just naturally the next stage, right? We're already seeing versions of that in the Web2 point of view where it's UGC. Right. It's still largely centrally controlled, but you're looking for more human, more normal, more average types of actors and maybe not the biggest influencers, but taking that content and those testimonials and sort of putting gas on the uh, fuel on the fire and putting gas on that pedal in regards to proliferating that piece of more organic and more genuine, sincere content versus your standard like 10 million follower influencer. So some elements and multidimensionality attached to that definition. And we'll definitely dive into more what that looks like with Web3 uh, enabled, empowered, and enhanced. Yeah, you began by saying that there are multiple definitions of co-marketing. So I would like to hear what Nick has to share here. Yeah, uh, you've captured so much in your, your definition, Thomas. So I'm not gonna retread that ground. But one thing that I will add from my perspective that I think is very, very powerful about Web3, and it's actually a superpower of blockchains, is the fact that we have this new substrate, we have this new surface area now that communities, that brands, that anybody who is on any side of a partnership can start to interact with. And that all starts to come together through things like NFTs, right? These, these digital items, these tokenized goods, anything that we're able to recognize on the blockchain as an indicator of a community can be connected to another indicator of a community. And now we have collaboration in a much more ad hoc and fluid way, which if you think about the speed of the world and the speed of change, pace of change, it's the way that we have to collaborate going forward. We Businesses, companies, communities don't have time to go through these arduous, you know, uh, processes of, you know, red tape and business development. Like we need to be able to move quickly. That's where the creative firepower is going to come from. That's what's really going to push communities and keep them engaged and excited about moving forward. So I'm personally very excited about this technology as an unlock for much more <laughs> fluid and open collaboration. Okay, so now that we have a couple of uh, interesting and uh, thorough uh, definitions of what co-marketing could be, how could, how could um, a brand or a business grow 
using uh, co-marketing opportunities and uh, Web3? Yeah, I, I would break this down into sort of two categories. Um, one is more like the hard stuff, right? Because if you're running a business at the end of the day, you have to perform. And typically that means, um, you know, hitting metrics, hitting KPIs, actually having number go up and hopefully in a sustainable and meaningful way, right? Um, simple example. And, you know, as a growth guy, it, it was a little bit of a pet peeve, but also I understand why it's still an important indicator. But like when you when you talk about metrics from a growth standpoint for like an app or a, or, you know, a platform or a product, a lot of people like to say, Hey, we have like 1 million signups, you know, not to say that's not valuable, but a signup is not the same thing as a user, which is not the same thing as an active user. Right. So, so with that said, right. When we, when we think about metrics and like some of the valuable things from a business executive's point of view or an operator's point of view, um, you know, the cold hard facts of how it's valuable is data at the end of the day, right? It, it, it's data. So whenever for those that may have a Web3 or a crypto mm -hmm. wallet, whenever you connect your wallet, um, you know, I'm not sure for the audience listening if you know this or not, but like they can see typically um, what you have in that wallet. I think the future will you know, ha in the future, there will be more tools and protocols that can help obfuscate some of that, just like how that's happening today with, you know, things are getting much more cookie-less on the mobile side, no more IDFA or GAID and deprecation. There's just different ways to play play that game. We'll get into detail, came from that world. Um, but, you know, for the time being, largely things are transparent and that's very valuable, right? While there still is to a degree or depending on certain circumstances, still anonymity, which is actually great, right? So as a simple example, already touched upon Nike. So I'll just sort of, you know, just mention them a little bit more as an example. If Nike is able to, you know, have uh, an avenue for users uh, for whatever their initiative might be to connect their wallet, you could actually easily understand, well, okay, uses that hold, let's say a Nike NFT, um, you know, if it is, you know, not within a custodial way, um, they're, they're able to see, well, what else do these people hold? How can we create a larger data set to see what these overlaps look like? Well, 80%, you know, as an example, hypothetically, 80% of our, let's say, Nike, uh, you know, sneaker, virtual sneaker holders also have an NFT from NBA Top Shot. Okay, interesting that's an insight what does that mean well maybe partnerships going back to co-marketing right um or maybe saying well you know 50 percent of the people who hold you know our virtual sneaker nfts have have never touched it meaning like they're not they haven't listed it on a marketplace or like they're they're just like really they're showing strong intention that this is theirs and they want to own it well how do we reward them for that how do we um, maybe create a unique activation around everyone that qualifies for certain, um, you know, that have hit these certain milestones, like you've just held and held only, you know, at least one or two or maybe 10 of these virtual sneakers for a year or longer or a month or longer or something like that. So there's a lot more mechanics coming on that front. Um, and that allows for more opportunities to identify, to reward, to, to sort of partner using that data. From a softer standpoint, um, this is where you can layer on the data with more um, thoughtful approaches that are community-led or partner-led. Um, I think some uh, simpler and more clear examples of this with other larger players in the space that have established themselves, one 
is Board Ape Yacht Club owned by um, Yuga Labs, right? One of the probably larger brands, communities, and companies that um, will continue to be a larger player in this space with their fundraise and just sort of um, the the sort of slight first mover advantage that they have and their aspirations. Um, I recently saw a, a really good graphic um, from um, an individual. His, I think his name is on Twitter, Harry, H-A-R-R-Y underscore Forge, F-O-R-J. So look that up. I'm pretty sure that's the handle. And basically, he and his team created an amazing graphic of the Yuga IP ecosystem. And what I mean by that is not as, uh, is not Yuga's IP, as in which which is very rich as well. Don't get me wrong; they actually just acquired a, a Metaverse Studio, Roar Studios. So very interesting, you know, in terms of if you're to reverse engineer what the strategy looks like. But again, for another conversation, another day. Um, but you know, you know, Yuga has CryptoPunks, Bordeaux Club, MeBits, Mutants, Kennels, etc. Blah blah blah, heavy metal. Um, but Coming from that UIP, because they have a pretty broad commercial license, so they let any of their holders basically, you know, use their own board ape or, you know, mutant for different products. And Harry and his team identified over 330 brands that were created from this uh, board ape yacht club ip and an associated ip they can't use for example the yuga logo but they could use their own board for whatever literally food uh bottled water canned water um there's so many things like there's been djs that you know have been putting their board apes on their visuals for years now at this point because this is over a two-year-old ip and company and brand so there's really interesting things happening there um you know as a precursor to nike nike um uh, Nike subdivision artifact RTFKT, um, you know, has been doing a lot of co-creator and sort of co-marketing and co-partnership types of opportunities um, and efforts, which I think Nike has taken a fair amount of insight from and is starting to apply more thoughtfully just because they have a way larger audience. But, you know, they are opening up um, uh, the usage of you know, for example, 3D files. So for anyone that has been a part of the dot swoosh ecosystem and participated, you as of some point last week, you were able to um, download 3D files of the actual um, virtual sneaker and do basically whatever you want with it, right? You know, within certain means, like, you know, you're not allowed to do like, you know, put an Adidas logo on like the Nike 3D file and then start selling that or something like that. But it's actually quite broad, very, very, very broad from a personal use standpoint. Commercials somewhat limited just because some complexities there from a multinational a Fortune 500 type of company. Um, Adidas, similar example. Um, and there's, you know, other projects that are art based, like Opepin by Jack Butcher, um, which is actually CC0, uh, which is a Creative Commons license, Creative Commons Zero, meaning uh, it, it's very, very similar, uh, pretty much the same as public domain, meaning anyone can do anything with that art. And there's some been there's been some really cool initiatives that have come from that. Is this something that all can only be used by, by companies such as Nike or Adidas? Uh, Nick, do you think this is um, the playground of uh, big companies or is there room for the small ones as well? I think it's a great question. So I think right now what we're seeing, uh, you know, these are the 
these are the guiding lights for the industry. So we're seeing really big players come in and experiment. Obviously, they have the budget, they have the capacity, the resources to put behind some of these experimental projects. Not everybody, not every company has the marketing resources or the creative ability to dive in at this level. But I think what we're seeing are some early examples, some uh, just inspiration about what can be done in the space. And what I'm really excited about on on the community side of things, Thomas, you hit on this quite a bit, the co-creation side. Um, I think what we're seeing from brands like Nike and Adidas are one example of co-creation. But I think we're going to be really surprised looking back in two, three, five years at how companies get their hands around this idea of co-creation and start bringing communities into all the way, you know, as far back as their product creation process. You know, if you think about branding, if you think about the power of a brand, like what is more and more impactful about branding than a customer actually creating products with you. You know, they are becoming a maker in your brand. That's that's branding at probably the deepest level you can go, right? When people mm-hmm. are thinking about your brand as theirs. And I think that the co-creation opportunities in Web3 are really going to bring to light some creative use cases and applications for being able to use your customers in a way that treats them as owners and creators um, and changes the playing field and the relationship between brands and and users. Yeah. And, and what I would add to that is like, there's, it's already happened for a very long time and continuing to do so, but you're starting to see like, you know, maybe brands you wouldn't expect to start diving into this for strategic reasons, but experiential. Right. And, and what's interesting here is the examples we provided, um, you know, and traditionally you think of experiences like, Hey, you go to a three day music festival, right? That's like a live synchronous experience. Um, you go into a store, live synchronous experience like oh my gosh that's such a cool display and like i'm just gonna buy the thing um you know also like those those sort of like pop-up museums um netflix is doing versions of that like stranger things uh many other shows um around different cities um but what's interesting here is actually you're able to do you're able to do this at scale and there's there's um uh, some ability to replicate this, uh, but it's experiential, but it's asynchronous, right? Because it's asynchronous, you're able to actually have a lot of advantages versus like, hey, this is only in one city and you have to physically be here to do it. That's not the case in many of the examples that we provided and will continue to share. That's such a great point. And I, I think it really is a, it represents a superpower of Web3 that we haven't been able to do with Web2 technology. Um, you know, it's we, we can coordinate things on platforms. We can do, try to do timed events and interactions, but actually being able to unite people uh, by an experience and that experience is memorialized by something on chain. I think that's where it gets really interesting. Yep. So. Well, as um, as Thomas bottomless well of examples shows, there is plenty of companies uh, doing uh, doing work in here in co marketing uh, and using the Web three for this. One concept that we explained and we covered in our previous uh, conversation. Uh, actually, the first conversation for this uh, for this series was um, tokenization, which is a, is a very important term, only because it, it appears a lot in this um, in this ecosystem. So I wonder if uh, Thomas, you could you could help us here with understanding how tokenized rewards, in this case, uh, play or, or help help incentivize uh, these uh, these projects and uh, play into what co-marketing is used. Yeah, yeah. I think one more recent one that's. Uh... Actually, I wouldn't say it's recent. I think there are uh, a couple of specific examples uh, that are that have been coming to light, and it will be coming 
uh, in the next couple of months in a much larger way in regards to tokenized rewards and incentives is Reddit. And there's been, I think there's been like a steady simmer of content and sort of insight about what they're doing. Um, I actually recently, I think it was last Tuesday, um, or a little very recently shared like a deeper analysis and just my thoughts, like I have no insider information or anything um, about my belief that Reddit is going all in on Web3. You just don't know it, right? And that that's the actual, that was the title of the piece. Reddit is, is all in on Web3 in parentheses. You just don't know it. And I think that's the point, right? Because I think in terms of mass adoption, uh, and many people have said this in various ways, like you don't need to know as an average consumer, like the exact mechanics of what happens, right? When I take a picture on my phone, like I don't know the details of the lens, et cetera. Um, but with Reddit, as an example of tokenized rewards, you know, on a high level summary is basically they one have created uh, an ecosystem around avatars. So they call them Reddit avatars, um, which is a great sort of product market fit opportunity and insight that they really seized because Reddit is primarily, um, or at least, uh, you know, in, in terms of a majority of the users, an anonymous platform, right? Like, very large percentage of people do not like their username is not first name, last name, or like you don't know where they work or whatever. It's not LinkedIn. Um, but it's like, just as an example, I shared this the other day with a friend. Um, my Reddit username is a toothbrush, right? And tooth is spelled T-0-0-T-H, right? So like no one would know that's me. And I, I don't use Reddit a lot, but like that's my my handle, right? And great, now you could track me if you want. Um, but but with that, you know, there is a, a maybe not always stated, but a desire to represent your personality, interests, and who you are without revealing much more about yourself via like the image you upload in your profile picture. And Reddit sees that and saw an opportunity to actually formalize some of that um, and, and to provide an opportunity to represent that in an even richer way. Right. So. What they're doing there as as one thing with Reddit avatars is those are all actually um, you know on Polygon, uh, especially if you take that out of your vault, which is basically the Reddit wallet, um, and they're sort of incorporating blockchain behind the scenes. But in short, you could just represent yourself in other ways. Uh, they partner with artists, so on top of you know maybe making a in a much more affordable fashion a nine ninety nine USD purchase for a really cool reddit avatar you're also supporting an artist while you're doing that so that really hits the nail on the heads for multiple ways the other thing more specifically around tokenized rewards that gets very interesting with what reddit is doing is they actually announced um literally about a year ago so august 2022 um the the emergence of community points so it's been a long time coming it's literally a year later um, but the whole impetus of this was based on a series of insights that they had um, over the past several years as they introduced um, different ways to show uh, and, and support and reward valuable content on the social content platform. And what they did was they created badges um, in particular, which is basically if you see a very um, high quality and high value add piece of content or post on Reddit, you typically see next to the title, all these little um, symbols and widgets next to it, basically meaning people have spent money or points or coins to actually reward and award um, that piece of content, which is great. However, that's it. Like what's, you know, you get some brownie points and clout, 
right? And, and that's not even karma, right? Those are completely separate things um, from my understanding. So anyone that's a hardcore Reddit user, apologies if there's slight nuances. Um, no, you got that, it right. I'm actually a wrong. hardcore user, so. Okay, great. You can call me out. Please call me out <laughs> yeah, if I'm no, wrong. No, no, no. You're All good. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Glad, glad we have a fact checker here uh, in the best way possible. Um, so with those insights, you know, they, they started to roll out, at least announce the emergence of community points, which is effectively tokenizing that contribution. And what they will be doing um, is create flexibility for each of these subreddit communities to one, tokenize, two, set more guardrails around how, you know, tokens could be rewarded, and three, how they could be used, right? So this is somewhat uh, a rumor, but just based on putting pieces together, this is coming out. Why? One, um, there was actually a more public announcement, uh, you know, relatively recently um, from one of the lead product managers that they were deprecating awards and badges, right? What the, the mechanism I described because of those insights that they publicly shared, right? So this is coming from someone internally from the team, big announcement. Two, they changed their terms of service or term, terms of use where they're actually allowing trade. They're, they're in their terms, they're allowing this. Like you technically could have done this already, but now they're formally allowing this from a legal standpoint. Um, they're allowing um, users to sell, trade, buy this stuff um, in the open market, right? On secondary. Um, so that includes points, basically are the tokens of community points, as well as the red avatars, which that has already been happening. So you're really seeing the setting uh, and the stage being set more specifically in that regard. So this is an example of a social platform with its progressive, to a degree, progressive decentralization, right? What they're decentralizing the platform and the content itself what they're decentralizing and creating more ownership of right through the blockchain and transparency around is the value of that content and to capture it, redistribute it to the people that deserve that and decentralizing that process um, to the communities themselves, right? Maybe not fully, right? This isn't like fully automated, but they're really de decentralizing that empowerment to really, you know, as that word, implies really empower um, the communities, the moderators, and the, the contributors of that. So that's one example um, that I just think is more relevant and recent. And anyone that's trying to better understand of like, hey, what is really happening in a more tectonic plate shift standpoint versus just like, hey, here's like this really cool, sexy announcement versus like, whoa, this company is actually revamping their infrastructure, like to a degree, right? Their, their actual like, ecosystem and economy, right? Um, again, like there's a lot to be figured out. There's probably going to be, you know, a lot, lot of edge cases and people trying to game that system. But like these are communities of, you know, the largest community I think is, oh, I should know this because I, I, I was referencing this earlier this week, but I forget. Um, you know, the largest communities on Reddit like are literally 50 to 60 million members, maybe not active, but like even if it's 10% active, that's insane. Right. So so these are some really big tectonic plate level shifts um, that are worth keeping an eye on at minimum. Yeah, I can attest and uh, anybody who's uh, listened to the previous um, episodes that uh, Nick uh, knows Reddit and uh, he's a huge fan of this uh, of this project and what they're doing with the, their digital collectibles. So we have the. Um, in, in a co-marketing partnership, what we have is two, two, two brands or more, I guess, um, so, 
collaborating on, um, on on a strategy that is going to bring benefits for the different audiences of both, right? And um, I think one area that we can explore now is uh, how Web3 could help to ensure that um, the benefits from these two or more brands and companies are distributed efficiently and in a fair in a fair way between the the two audiences. Yeah, definitely. I think I think a good example of this going back to Board API Club, just because the brand has been around longer, there's just a lot more to reference. Um, and also from a recency standpoint, I saw this headline, um, which is sort of funny. Uh, but Snoop Dogg um, has a board ape, and he's had a board ape for some time. Uh, he released a, an ice cream line. You could get that today. I think it's in like 2,500 Walmarts across the US or several thousand um, called Dr. Bombay, right? And he has just like all these different crazy flavors. The context is like, you know, he loves ice cream and he always like, he was never satisfied with the flavors because he like mashed, he, he mixed and remixed a lot of the flavors together to just get whatever, you know, he liked, which is really funny because he shares that backstory. But Dr. Bombay is his board, is the name of his board ape, right? So that's a great example of how he's using that more open commercial licensing to bolster his own brand lines. He ha- He's a business mogul as well as, you know, rapper and music artist among many other things. But like, you know, from a business standpoint, he's expanding significantly. And it just seems like he is using his board ape, not only as, you know, a name in some of the products, but also as a character. So I think on social media, he, um, you know, he sort of featured him side by side with his like 3D rendered ape, right? Like in terms of the actual branding of the ice cream itself, like it's more just the name and the flavor and like the design a little bit. But for example, you know, he, he doesn't want to necessarily be as like aggressive about showing the board ape there. But actually one thing um, that I noticed is, for example, one of the flavors on the lid, it was actually in a cheetah pattern, right? Why is that? His ape is a cheetah ape, right? So that is, is paying homage to those traits. So like, you know, if you don't, if you don't know that, like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't hurt you or anything. But like, you know, for those that get that, it's just interesting to see how like, there's different levels to how much you can infuse that into the story, whether it's the channel, whether it's actually on the product or not, but like you use as a character to supplement, um, you know, or even just in a little bit of design, because you know, a lot of NFTs on the digital collectible side are trade based. Another example is with pudgy penguins, of course. So, um, you know, they've made a lot of waves more recently, because they they're actually starting to bring more traditional business model uh business models and approaches into you know web3 so instead of web3 you know consuming web2 it's more web2 starting to come back bite back so to say um with best practices and infusing that into web3 and being enhanced and empowered etc so launch a lot of toys um all their toys to date there may be changes in the future and you know full disclosure i have one so definitely have a little bit more insight uh which is helpful just to like you know break down what they're doing um they they you know are licensing the likeness from and they have you know they 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 have deals and contracts with uh their holders right so you know, out of all the different toys you see on Amazon, and I think they're in Walgreens now, they have international retailers, like their distribution is actually quite impressive and crazy. Um, these are deals and these are actually characters that literally have all those straight traits from, you know, the actual collection. And, you know, there are some limitations on the commercial rights or, or like the, the, the ceilings of the sort of royalty and partnership distribution in terms of the money those holders can make. But like these holders are literally having a share of revenue. 
um, through this distribution. So that's really, really cool. And they're committed to do that a lot more. Um, so that's going to be very interesting. And they have something to keep an eye on. Um, and I don't know the details. They've been hinting at it for months. But they have something called Project Overpass, which is going to make licensing um, easier for the whole space. So that's something to think about from a uh, co-marketing standpoint. And what I imagine, whether it's, you know, when they announce it in the first iteration or like, you know, you know, version 1.0 versus, you know, maybe at a later point is I imagine the the secret sauce here is open, opening it up um, for other external partners outside of Web3. Right. So like board apes could come in and do something with maybe some of the pudgy penguins. But maybe, you know, again, like you know, we talked about ice cream, but maybe like Ben and Jerry's wants to do something with a pudgy penguin, which would be actually a pretty dope collab because like obviously ice cream, ice, it's cold. So so that might be very interesting. Right. Where they sort of build hooks to actually be much more friendly and open to just brands that like don't understand all the details of the industry that we're in, but like understand co-marketing and partnerships. Right. So those are just some examples of what's going to come down the road and are already happening today. There's something there that I wanted to chime in on um, just in terms of recognizing the community contribution. And so Yuga Labs recently announced they're made by apes. Um, sort of mm-hmm. it's it's a brand on their co-creation process is, is the kind of how I think about it. But um, beneath just the branding benefit of being able to unite all of these uh, community driven projects, businesses by this um this made by apes tag, uh, they're also granting or recognizing the IP ownership on chain with the made by apes program. And so if you have an ape and you're creating a business out of that, you can now be recognized on chain as the owner of that ape. Um, and that way, you know, it's, it's a very clear licensing structure at that point. And so there's a, a way to kind of work backwards towards uh, royalties or any kind of benefits that are owed the creator and the community around that. What I think is really interesting about how this whole space is evolving around co-creation um, and how this relates to co-marketing is the idea that, you know, as a brand, especially as a brand gets bigger, they're a global brand. Culture is complicated. Culture has changed so fast. And, you know, you think about meme culture, you think about social media, how fast everything changes. It is virtually impossible for a single brand team to stay on top of all of that and, and stay relevant. And what's really cool about where Web3 is taking us is it brings the community around your brand on board as sort of the curators of everything that's happening around them and giving them the opportunity to inject your brand and their perspective into culture and mashing that all up into something that they're, it could be a product, it could be, you know, a derivative work that recognizes your brand. But uh, it's, it's, again, opening up this really creative playground for brands, marketers and communities to come together. For marketers that may be thinking, okay, co-marketing sounds appealing. This is uh, this is very interesting. We should maybe explore this uh, further. But they're concerned about, okay, how can we actually, you know, track any of this? How can we follow up on this? Is this working? Is this not? Um, can we maybe talk a bit about um, how can um, help uh, Web3, sorry, uh, optimize the, the tracking of these uh, campaigns and uh, potentially increase the transparency behind them? Definitely, definitely. That's a great question. And to a degree, it still is the Wild West, but also to to counter that, even though what we're talking about, like the core, let's say the, the digital collectibles or NFTs are on-chain, um, there's still a lot of off-chain activity, right? A lot of this content that might be promoted 
um, or shared or, you know, created from excited community members if there is sort of an initiative underway is done on more traditional channels and uh, social channels. And there are some great emerging social platforms as well, again, for another conversation. But that is off chain, so to say, right? So this can integrate and plug into existing um, sort of MarTech stacks, uh, so to say, and can be supplemented with other tools and sort of platforms that integrate relatively easily. So um, I could go very deep on this, but we'll keep it a little bit more high level as one example is there are um, uh, a, a healthy number of options and partners and companies that work on these sort of quest and engagement layer of sort of the MarTech stack. So a f- throw, throwing a few names, I've used pretty much all of them to a degree. So for example, Zealy, Layer 3, Galaxy, Intract, Sesame Labs. Um, they are a partner uh, f- for a lot of Web3 companies, protocols, and products to not only help acquire and onboard users, but to engage them and sort of identify what types of users or who is more you know, loyal and engaged and rewarding them accordingly, tracking them through the funnel, um, you know, encouraging users through some high level forms of uh, incentivization, how to get them to take an action. And with pretty much all of these uh, tools and platforms I mentioned, you would connect Discord, you connect Twitter, you could do, you could connect a lot of other things if you want to. You also connect Wallet, already mentioned why that's very valuable for other reasons, specifically more on chain. You can, you can, you know, of course, collect email and stuff like that. So you start getting, um, you know, for especially more established companies and teams and sort of um, let's just say your MarTech stack, like you, you might believe, and I'm not arguing that you don't have, but you might believe you have a 360 degree view of your consumer or customer. Now you, you actually not only have a 360 degree view, but with any on-chain data, if you're going in that direction, you have another dimension added on to that 360 degree view. Right. And like I said, because it's integrated and there's tools that help make that easier, you really start to get a a much more interesting view of what is going to be the future of understanding your customer's persona, et cetera, uh, with that extra dimension. So, um, you know, if anything, recommend you just understand a few of the players in the space, how that works. And if already more comfortable in Web3 um, and the general ecosystem, um, and you have like a web through your crypto wallet, uh, you know, just explore those tools, maybe try a quest or some sort of campaign from one of those platforms and see what that looks like. See what they're asking to connect to from a social platform standpoint, how they sort of create these engagement quests. Simple example, they, they have like a daily check-in quest, uh, a weekly check-in quest, and you get XP for that, right? You level up, et cetera. Very standard gamification, but pretty sticky too, especially if you have the right hooks and sort of flywheels to encourage that. Transparency is a word that uh, came out a couple in, in the um, two previous um, episodes. And I wonder, Nick, if you wanted to maybe share a, a couple of thoughts uh, about how transparency can be achieved uh, in Web3, using Web3 in these co-marketing campaigns. You know, kind of touching on the engagement journey uh, that Thomas was just mentioning, you know, I think as as marketers and people that are interested in creating better user experiences, it's it's always been important to understand the user's journey and what the user is doing along the way. Um, 
there are very specific interaction points that signify somebody's progression through a user journey, through user experience, through engagement with the brand, through engagement with the community. And what's interesting about Web3 and how I think this helps with transparency is that Web3 now, you know, by being able to do things like dynamically update NFTs or being able to take snapshots of uh, transactions via on-chain activity, we can start to, um, I think, more clearly uh, really document the user's journey and, and users' interaction with our brand, with our tools, with our systems, because as they hit those sort of checkpoints where we've identified, you know, that's an important that's an important thing for somebody to be able to do and then move on to the next stage of the journey, we can capture that as, as an NFT or as an on-chain transaction. Um, so in terms of transparency, I think from marketer to consumer, it becomes much more clear what's happening in that journey. On the flip side of that, from consumer to marketer, it now is much more clear how marketers are trying to use my data to interpret who I am. So instead of just, you know, following me around the web and, you know, paying for as much data as possible to try to zero in on a particular attribute that they might use as a signal or an indicator that I'm going to purchase or I'm going to engage, uh, it could be more of a situation where marketers are asking for my data and then showing me exactly how that data is being used. And as a customer, as somebody who's interacting with that brand, I can actually see my profile evolve. I can see my profile on chain and say, okay, that's how this brand or this community sees me. Um, and then I can make the decision. Do I want to be part of this ecosystem? If not, I unplug. You know, I'm not going to contribute mm-hmm. my data. I can disconnect my wallet and I'm no longer a part of that system. Talking about journeys, um, we've also covered a few examples, but I wonder if we could go a full journey on one of them. And I think uh, one that... Um, Tipan mentioned before was uh, uh, Pudgy, 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 <laughs> Pudgy penguins, and yeah. uh, they they have a um, they have a, a potential journey using uh, using Web three that is interesting. And I wonder, uh, Thomas, if you could, if you could share your thoughts uh, about it. Yeah. So in regards to Pudgy penguins, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, they've had a very interesting story. So I'll I'll try to keep it. It can't. It's impossible to keep it brief. But we'll sort of share a little bit more end to end what happened because, as I mentioned, I'm I'm fairly close to and, and have been following them since the start. So um, they they initially launched in 2021, I believe H2. So I don't know, I don't recall exactly when, but let's say around fall 2021. So they were an earlier project um, during all the hype, all the craziness. So. I believe the floor or like the cheapest at uh, the lowest price at one point of a pudgy penguin was some something close to like high single digits, something astronomical and ridiculous in hindsight. But back then it was just like, oh, yeah, every everything's like that valuable, which, you know, in obvious hindsight wasn't. So I was one of the victims, so to say, of that mindset. But hey, we're just here for the art, right? That's what they all say to cope. <laughs> So basically it was like something ridiculous, like 20, let's say 25 grand for like the cheapest pudgy penguin. Actually, a lot of popular uh, influencers and, you know, uh, celebrities, I think Steph, uh, believe it or not, Steph Curry um, still has a pudgy penguin. Uh, He also has a board ape too, but, you know, you just keep quiet about it. You know, they didn't, they didn't do anything crazy, but, you know, probably not enough. uh, It's not valuable enough to like, to make any moves because that will cause more commotion and eyeballs on him. But it definitely reached mainstream uh, Pudgy Penguins partially because it's just a very cute and approachable um, art style and character um, and just got a lot of hype in short. Uh, and what happened was the founder 
essentially was there to to make money. Um, I wouldn't say it was like a hard rug, meaning like uh, he didn't necessarily just left them left the community high and dry. Just hey, bye guys. Oops. Oh my gosh, I was like making a gesture and just like hit the pen on my whiteboard. Um, too animated, but. Uh, he basically was actively and openly, you know, made it public and known that he was looking for a seller, right? He, he's just not someone that he, he's good at having a good idea, scaling it up, building hype, marketing and doing BD and selling the thing, but not necessarily like, okay, how do you go going from zero to one, maybe great. Also right time, right place, right character, um, cute penguins, but like one to 10 and 10 to a thousand, not him. So fortunately he also realized that. Although that led to a lot of like concerns from the community, like, oh no, what are we going to do? We're going to zero, like some other things. Um, and definitely had some uh, uh, turbulence to say, uh, to say the least in regards to the community, the, the floor, the, the sentiment is also an indicator, not the indicator, but one of floor, pri floor price. So that dropped significantly. Um, and basically in April, 2022, so a little over a year ago, Luca Nets, and, you know, a group of other individuals basically bought out the whole IP and everything related to Pudgy Penguins for two and a half million dollars, which sounds super stupid uh, <laughs> if you don't know what's going on and uh, just like just silly. Right. Like clearly it, it's a bubble for some people, although that was still at a point where, um, you know, the market was much healthier, at least from a price standpoint or like a perception standpoint versus where we are today. Um, he bought out for two and a half million, everything. And, you know, he shared publicly, he was willing to pay, I believe up to like from a pure offer standpoint, he was willing to go as high as seven and a half million. And I think in his heart of hearts, he was able, he was willing to go up to $15 million, um, which is like, again, crazy, right? Just like, first of all, like that capital on hand, he's not a VC. He doesn't have like LPs or anything like that to my knowledge, but like he, he believes, um, and it sounds like he was right with the bet that he got a steal, right? Because basically they were like, yep, cool, two and a half mil, we're out. Like they they got what they wanted. He got what he wanted at a good, as a good deal. Basically what he saw was a very, very high ceiling and high potential IP brand, right? Um, even despite all that turbulence, um, very strong community, very committed community. And he saw a path to um, really turn this thing around and really turn it into a real business. So a little bit about Luca Nets and his team that he brought over from previous endeavors. Um, basically, he's an e-com genius. He's like only 25 years old. Um, he really came from like a rough background and just really hustled his way um, to where he is today. Um, and more specifically, what he what he focuses on and his specialty is, is in the e-com side of things. So he's, you know, worked with a lot of celebrities, influencers and other products to basically from a lifetime standpoint, like it's not directly under him, it's more under the brand, but like basically done a lot of work to achieve lifetime, like nine figures plus of sales, right? And I think even just one of the products, it's called Gel Blasters. I looked it up the other day and I was like, what the heck is Gel Blasters? Um, but pretty cool. It's like paintball, but it's like without the paint, right? It's just like little, little, like tiny water balloons and like paintball pellets. Um, but like, you know, it's just water. There's no stains, you know, it's just very fun and friendly. Um, it stings just enough to be like, Ooh, I got hit, but like just generally very safe for everyone to participate in. Right. So like Nerf guns, but like just a little bit more like oomph to it, like a better experience since we talked about that. Um, he did nine figures in sales and sort of led the whole end to end process with that from my understanding. Right. So basically he's, you know, in certain circles, he's like an e-com God, like 
sort of literally, which is pretty crazy if you understand his background. So he basically, you know, over the course of a year started planning, building in the background, all these things like the e-com portion and sort of the product portion of this. So May, a few months ago, they launched, you know, their toy line on Amazon. I mentioned all the brick and mortar stores. Um, at the time of that recording, I think they were on track on an annualized basis to like do three to 4 million, um, approximately around that ballpark range in like physical toy sales, which like, first of all, no one else is in web three is doing toy sales. Like, uh, I, I mean, they are, but like not even close to that degree. Um, and also, you know, with, uh, like he, he's just started, right? Like, um, a lot of interesting stuff that he's doing. So, you know, I've written about it, check that if you want, or just like follow the brand. Uh, the other piece that hasn't really even been turned out on yet is um, social and uh, turned on in terms of like adding, adding field of the fire from the e-com side. So um, a few things that they've done very, very well and uh, other similar, what I call a cute meta. So any projects that have more like cute capability and potential and ceiling um, are following versions of this and maybe have done it, but are probably being a little bit more explicit in following a version of a playbook, so to say, that they've really proven out. And again, this is Web2, right? This is what I'm saying. Like Web2 best practices were scoffed at initially, um, but we're are sustainable and scalable. And now, you know, a lot of Web3 companies and brands are sort of like shifting back there. And that's nice because it shows for Web2 companies and brands that are like, okay, this Web3 thing's interesting, might be the future. How do we get in? They're starting to see like, okay, it's not as scary and foreign as it might, right. you know, initially seem to be. So it's a win-win on both sides. But basically... Um, they only really started social efforts like several months ago, like more officially in January, but you could even just look cause they don't have too many posts. You could actually see when they started hitting traction with their sort of, um, content, uh, sort of output and like the style of content, right. Which is actually truly only more like few months ago versus they really started ramping up, you know, testing and iterating on their content, um, strategy and like the types of content they wanted to test. So they basically went from like very low six figure followers, if not like less than that to now they have 738 as of yesterday, I think, cause I, I just follow their Instagram. Like I only use Instagram partially just to like see, you know, follow the content because it's so damn good. Honestly, it deserves swearing as well. It's so damn good. Um, and you know, they've grown rapidly, uh, and they only recently started turning it on, but that's going to be purely right. Like a web two or just like outside of the, the tiny, tiny audience and echo chamber of like NFT enthusiasts, web three enthusiasts and crypto folks. Um, and they, they finally, a few weeks ago, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, had their first piece of content um, promoting their toy line, right? They have done very light social ads as well, uh, but you're going to see a lot more of that come and boom, you just flip the switch. TikTok doing a similar thing, smaller audience, but their link actually isn't even to the shop or anything. It's actually to their Instagram account. So you could actually tell where they're funneling their audience towards in terms of sort of the the, the external audience outside of like their core community and Web3 folks. Um, lastly, what they're doing also from a partnership standpoint and IP is very, very interesting because again, the, the core thesis here is like Pudgy Penguins is like going to be a world-class IP. So what are they doing? They're being very strategic on the B2B standpoint, right? They attended the licensing expo in Las Vegas. So if you're a brand or an IP, that is that is the thing you go to. If there's only one thing you do from like a conference standpoint every year, you go there. And I, I learned about this actually last year for some other, you know, Web3 folks that are more in the game. But like 
they supposedly have some very big and interesting deals that they signed basically from that. And Luca's been there before, so he knows that game. So, you know, again, very notable. Dude's only 25, right? But this is like the sort of next generation entrepreneur that gets it. Exception and outlier, yes. But like, is he someone to just even pick into the brain and just reverse engineer what they're doing? 100%. Um, they went to Comic-Con, right? So that's more on the consumer side of things. But if you see the social videos of what they've done and like li like lines literally 100 people long, like you think this was Disneyland, like a Disneyland, like, like a mini ride or something. And it isn't. Part of the reason is because... Um, they just have this really cute and cool claw machine, right? Like this should be just copied. Honestly, this should just be copied by every single person, no matter it's web three or not, but like they have a claw machine. And if you're lucky enough, obviously, and they don't make it super hard, like at an arcade, but like, if you get, if you win, you win one of the toys. Right. And that's just such a surprise and delight moment. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you know what the hell pudgy penguins is. It's just like cute. Right. So you yeah. win right for a very, very low cost. Um, so that's just a little bit of insight into what they've done so far and on the tech side touched upon a bit, but they have a lot of stuff happening on the tech side. That's maybe a little less exciting from like, you know, just like how do you capture a very wide audience and net? But, um, you know, I, for I forgot to even mention, but you could find this on anything that is, uh, uh, that uses Jiffy on their GIF or GIF backend. But, you know, you search pudgy penguins on, you know, like Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, for GIFs. You type in pudgy penguin anything you get a variety of things um i think total as of a few days ago or a week ago um 5.6 billion views on all of their gifs combined <laughs> um and i think they have like just shy like 3.8 or 3 3.9 gifs so just do the math divide it like obviously not distributed evenly but clearly that's also part of the awareness game right the point isn't necessarily to be like pudgy penguins is like an nft collection but Pudgy Penguins is just a cute brand and like, I like their content and they're fun, right? And then that really bolsters and creates a much stronger business model. So regardless of where you sit in the ecosystem or if you're just curious, check them out. It's literally just, um, you know, a, a masterclass on so many different levels on what they're doing, technical, social, content, um, community building, co-marketing, co-partnerships, co-creation, all that fun stuff. So that's my spiel. I could talk a lot longer about that, but that's for you to just sort of dive into um, as a listener because I, I, I'd like to say I did my part. <laughs> yeah, as, uh, as we've seen, well, by the examples and um, in particular by this one, uh, we can see that this is definitely moving. To some, it may feel like it's moving uh, slowly, but um, to some others, it may feel like it's moving actually really fast. And I wonder whether it's a, a matter of, uh, you know, some of the challenges and, con and concerns that may that may appear when a company is trying to use uh, Web3 for, for their co-marketing efforts, that this is, uh, this is the reason, right? So maybe, mm -hmm. uh, Nick, maybe we can start with you here. Uh, what do you think are some of these uh, challenges and, and concerns that a company may, may consider when uh, using uh, Web3 for their co-marketing strategy? So this came up in one of our other episodes in this series, um, but I think it's the the fear right now that a lot of marketers and organizations have of participating in such an open way, right? If we think back to the beginning of social and the beginning of UGC, there was a lot of hesitation by companies and brands to actively get involved with social, to engage people that way, because you had less control. Who knows what people are going to say about our products? Who knows, you know, we, we can't put the brand filter on top of that. And I think right now we're in a moment in time with Web3 where 
people who do get it are starting to experiment much more rapidly. And we're starting to see this really play out for them. You know, the pudgy penguin strategy that you just uh, recapped for us, Thomas. I mean, I think, I think that's a great example of uh, somebody who understands Web3 very natively and is using that to build what sounds to be a, a, an empire around this. Um, I think for marketers that are less um, less connected to Web3 or haven't really taken the time to immerse themselves in the technology, there can be some hesitation, some fear about how do I get involved? Is this, you know, do we lose complete control of our brand? And I think what's tough right now for a lot of organizations is seeing what that future looks like. And so, you know, I guess to, to counter that with maybe a little bit of uh, advice or insight, education is the, the most important part right now, right? Getting involved, getting our hands around this technology, trying things ourselves so that as marketers, we can understand how do we actually turn this into strategy? How can we do this at scale? How can we do this in a way that's going to protect the interests of the business, but also allow us to be innovators in the space instead of being, you know, the laggards who in five years from now look back and say, oh, we should have gotten involved in Web3 the same way that some people mm -hmm. uh, were late to the game with Instagram, with social media, et cetera. So yeah, lots of learning to do and lots of, I think, initial fears to get over. Thomas, any more concerns or current limitations that you see in um, for companies using Web3 for their co-marketing? Yeah, overall, I agree with Nick. Um, the obvious thing, especially if you're US-based or that's where most of your audience is uh, regulatory. But uh, I think there are still different ways that actually are fine from a regulatory standpoint, which is more about like tokens or like, you know, actually having like a cryptocurrency, but as purely a digital collectible and with certain guardrails, um, you know, let's just say, simply put it like there's a reason why Starbucks and Nike are pushing ahead uh, because of the structure that they put around it. There's no token like in a, like, let's say there's no like, Bitcoin or there's no coin associated. These are all tokens, but as a digital collectible and they're pretty explicit and you could tell that they really are, right? Can you trade them? Sure, just like you could trade Pokemon cards, right? On eBay or like in person. Um, I think so, so that's something to take note of in regards to like regulatory and some of the nuance there and like what is still somewhat gray area versus like what is like completely fine. And like, mind you, the Nike and Starbucks initiatives are US first and for now US only. So like, there's a fair level of confidence. Like if you, if like you don't have the resources or don't know who to reach out to from like a securities lawyer or just like, you know, crypto web three lawyer. Well, you know, some of these fortune 500 companies have had some probably very deep and complex discussions and like they're moving forward with this in the U S so, you know, for what it's worth, you know, worth mentioning. I think the last thing I'll say is, Hey, you don't have to dive into it today or tomorrow. It, it takes a while. And, you know, for myself, it took like, months and i'm not exaggerating it literally took me you know uh, like several months to be just like oh i sort of get this let me go a little deeper on the rabbit hole from like my my world of nba top shot because that's what i was focused on right but there's just so much more so i would encourage anyone that's just like on the fence just to like keep the pulse a little bit more right and like what are your favorite brands like maybe one of those brands are doing something in web3 or like exploring just follow that Right. And then you'll probably just by nature of that will realize like, okay, like example, like let's say you're a big fan of Nike. Well, they're clearly doing stuff there. Like that's not a big lift just to follow them a little bit more on a specific topic within their ecosystem. Right. You're a Nike fan already. So why wouldn't you like what they're innovating and testing, whether it succeeds or fails? Then you probably like, you know, sneakers and other stuff. Well, 
wait a second, Adidas is doing something too. Let me just keep tabs, right? That's it. Nothing crazy. I still like, for example, I still like Nike better, right? Not saying me, Adidas is listening, um, but listener, you know, hypothetical, right? Oh, wait a second. Puma's doing stuff too. Okay, well, let's see what Puma's doing, right? And then you slowly go down that rabbit hole versus like, hey, you have to drink by the fire hose. So that's what I really, um, you know, recommend. I, I, I get it. And I, no judgment, um, this takes time. And there's just a lot of reasons not to get into it still, like totally fair. Um, and what I will say without revealing anything is, um, and I'm sure Nick and Alberto, you you guys have some insight or like your version of this too, is just like, Basically, every major brand, consumer facing or otherwise, even is like deeply exploring this industry and is in at minimum R&D mode, um, but even more realistically, just like quietly building things in the background. That's all I'll say. Um, I've just heard a lot and it's like a little mind boggling. Um, they're just not out yet. It's not the right environment. You know, crypto is still a little murky, you know, general sentiment is, but like your favorite brand is working on likely working on something in the space, if not already in early discussions or even deep discussions, if not building the thing. Yeah, this is definitely happening as uh, Nick and I cover in the, in the news that we go, um, that we, that we explain or we cover in the marketing meets web three podcast. Uh, initially it was uh, not hard, but harder to find uh, examples of companies uh, using web three. And uh, nowadays, uh, you, you need to pick which one you're talking about because uh, there are there are plenty. And uh, the, the, the same thing I would say about co-marketing, it, it wasn't something that I had heard before um, Web3 came around, but uh, nowadays I keep uh, hearing about it. And uh, so for the last question, uh, Thomas, um, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you about the future, but the future certainly feels uh, as pretty close already. So maybe uh, what do you think in the next uh, six months or one year uh, we are going to see in terms of co-marketing and companies using Web3 for, for these efforts? Great question. Oh, I don't think I have any like super crazy hot takes off the top of my head. Um, I do think it's apt that, you know, we're, we're talking about, this is all related to loyalty and this is part of a mini series around loyalty, but I believe, um, maybe not six to 12, uh, but I think we'll see, you know, very clear arguments for this. Um, everything loyalty will be, will be, uh, just, just on chain, um, and, and much more dynamic, flexible, open to a degree, permissionless, um, to a degree permissionless. Um, I, I'm very, very convinced that loyalty is going to move in this direction and it's like there's just the most clear and obvious use case and and uh, easy argument for every brand to do it um and i'll break it down very briefly one is because if you're already on the cutting edge and again the top brand names we mentioned nike starbucks are great examples like using the existing sort of paradigms around loyalty like this is it like there's nothing else like like nike's head of loyalty if there is that role or head of crm it's just like you did like great gold star. Like you did the thing you're doing all the best practices. You're pushing, you're pushing the boundaries and like you're optimizing every single 0.1% lift you can do, right? Like you did it, right? You won, right? What's next, right? Like that's my question for any, anyone that has a world class, like McDonald's, Starbucks, Nike, like um, less familiar with international brands and how they do like every airline loyalty program. Like you did it. Good job. Like what's next? Seriously, like without a buzzword, like like a serious game changing, like new paradigm thing. It's Web three. I get. I, 
I was going to say guarantee. I, I strongly believe in that, right? The second thing is, let's say you're behind, right? You're like, oh man, we're like a huge brand. You know, we just haven't focused on loyalty that much. We know there's so much we need to do. Um, you know, we know all the best practices on all playbooks and we have a, a decent sized budget to like get that spun up. Great. Well, to that point that you made, you're still behind, right? Like the Nikes of the world are like just running laps literally and figuratively because they're a running company, um, you know, around you. So you're just going to play that game forever or you parallel path it because you're a larger brand that has the resources to do the standard best practices that exist today and leapfrog at, leapfrog yourself at the same time. And that's an advantage in of itself because you're go if you're going like building the infrastructure, you could just like build the best MarTech setup that supports Web 2 and Web 3, like Web 3 loyalty, right? So like actually you're arguably in a way in an advantage and an advantageous spot. So I think we're going to see both versions of that happening. I believe on the former, it's a little bit more clear in terms of examples. I think in the latter, no one would want to admit it if they're if that's their actual strategy anyway. But I do believe we're seeing versions of that. And basically, everyone's going to move loyalty to some form of on-chain, some form of tokenization, some form of more flexibility, openness, permissionlessness with some guardrails uh, involved. So that's I don't think it's that hot of a take, but like that's my take. If I could throw one thing in there... Um... You know, Thomas, and I'll caveat this with your your earlier comment about top shots <laughs> and, uh, you know, the prediction that it was going to go to the go exponential, you know, <laughs> in, in six. It months. did. Um, and then it just and then it expen <laughs> exponentially went the other way. So I don't have a specific time frame on this. Maybe it's 12, maybe it's 18 months, maybe it's a couple of years. But I do think that we are, the stage is set to see a resurgence of interest from uh, businesses in membership programs. And I think those membership programs are going to start to look like hybrid membership and loyalty programs where you mm -hmm. have, as a, as a consumer, you're opting in to become part of a club, but part of that membership then grants you things, uh, not only perks and benefits, but starts pulling the loyalty aspect in, in a way that Agreed. you can start moving loyalty points around in a much more open way. And I think, you know, we might see a half step there in the future. In fact, I'm pretty sure that we're not going to go full open loyalty overnight, right? This is going to be baby steps. The industry is going to crawl before we walk. And we're probably going to see these coalitions form um, almost like you see, you know, Star Alliance or things with airline points. I see that happening with open collaboration first with, you know, organized groups of companies that see brand affinity, but they're going to set the stage for doing this at scale. And that's, that's what I think is going to set the stage for the next 10 years in terms of what it looks like to be able to freely, fluidly collaborate, you know, whether it's brand to brand, community to brand, community to community. So exciting things ahead. Um, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't have a time frame, but that's my take. <laughs> Agreed. Well, um, Thomas, Tipan. Uh, Nick Casares, thank you both for being here at the Marketing Meets Web3. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. This was the last episode in our four-part series about Web3 and loyalty marketing. We really hope you enjoyed it. To listen to the whole series, please visit step.io. You will find a link here below. And uh, of course, if you enjoyed it, please share with your colleagues, share with your friends, Set with whoever you think is going to find value in it because uh, we really think it's going to help a lot of uh, companies and brands. Give it a share or a like and thank you very much.